today on Ag News Daily. Retailers, oil companies, and, and likely us in several instances, all are on an opposing view to it. I guess the jury's out. They claim that they are indeed going to make the June 1st deadline, but I, I think it's important for everyone to, to note. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by, well, Ted, I don't even have a good title for you because you are a markets extraordinaire. You are an ethanol junkie. You, you know a lot about a lot of different topics. Well, Delaney, you can call me the Ted Spread. That will work Ted fine for me. Spread. We've got the Ted yeah. Spread on today's Market Monday episode. Ted, we're going to have a great conversation here in just a little while with Robert White of the I Renewable know. Fuels Association. So folks Looking definitely want to stay to tuned to that, don't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's uh, so much to be talking about with ethanol right now because there's so much at stake here for the next couple yes. of weeks. Um, we really need to get the word out about that. Robert's a great guy to do it. I know quite a bit about ethanol myself. So, uh, yeah, this is a conversation that I've been looking forward to all weekend. Absolutely. Well, one conversation I'm not looking forward to having, but I think it's one we need to have right off the bat here, is the flooding that is impacting so much of especially the Midwest and Upper Plains areas. Yeah. We saw, or, or we're expecting here on Monday or Tuesday of this week, the Army Corps of Engineers to dial back the Missouri River. We're seeing a lot of it come from South Dakota, North Dakota, and flood or head south. We've seen parts of Nebraska evacuated. I think over the weekend we actually had a couple people pass away from the water. We're also seeing so mm -hmm. much cattle being impacted yeah. in the Plains areas. I saw somebody called it a bomb cycle. Um, bomb cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hurricane force winds. Uh, we saw tornadoes, heavy snowfall, etc. We've, we've even seen ADM and a couple other plants were forced to shut down um, processing and whatnot due to the flooding. So it's just not good. It's impacting so much of rural America. And it's coming down the pipeline as farmers want to get back into the fields. It's just further and further delaying our planting season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was in South Dakota last week, and it was, uh, yeah, it seemed like a hurricane. You know, mm -hmm. I was in the, I was in a part of South Dakota, which is, you know, the far eastern side. I was in Brookings, and then I made my way down to Sioux Falls. The rain, it was yeah. like a monsoon. It was sideways rain, two and a half inches with, you know, 30, 40, sometimes gusting up to 50-mile-an-hour winds. Wow, it was like being in a hurricane. And you look at what's happening in Nebraska. It is terrible. You know, two or three dams that have been compromised. There's flooding happening everywhere. You look at all the different rail and, and roads that are down. I mean, it, it's, it is, it's like a war zone. And, and you don't really hear much happening about this on, you know, your East Coast or West, West Coast national news. It seems like, you know, something like this happens in New Orleans, and, oh, my gosh, it's the biggest thing in the world. Something yeah. like this happens in Nebraska – we don't really get that coverage. So, you know, it's frustrating, and it's certainly been a tragedy, um, and hopefully everybody out there is doing all right. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, and other news this week, actually just over the weekend, Ted, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or anywhere else, but the feds seized about a billion pounds of pork trying to be smuggled in from China. This was on the heels of a massive cocaine bust in mm -hmm. a New Jersey port. And U.S. Mm -hmm. Customs and Border Protection announced that that seizure happened Friday of roughly a billion pounds of pork trying to be smuggled in from China. And I know that 
we're not necessarily impacted directly from pork from eating infected African swine fever pork, but I think the concern is just they don't want it to be passed on to other livestock here in the United States, other pork here. Yeah, absolutely, Dwayne. And listen, first of all, it's a million pounds of pork, because a billion is just, oh my gosh. Did <laughs> right? I say a billion? A, oh, a million oops. pounds of pork. It's a lot of pork. <laughs> and it's funny how we're we're intercepting, you know, cocaine shipments, and then mm. here comes pork. And yeah. it's, 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 it's really almost on par right now because of the problem of ASF. ASF is such a, a bad disease for the pork industry. If that were to come to the United States, oh my gosh, that's not only tragic for us, but that would be really, really tragic for the world, for anybody who's going to want to buy our pork, because they're really going to have a problem in China. In China, well, you know, it really, I look at Asia as a whole, right? But China, I mean, yes, they've come out and said that their pork herd is down about 15%. A lot of people think it's a lot I know. more than that. Yeah. Maybe 30%, maybe more, you know, so... Oof. Uh, I think that opens a lot of opportunities for us as long as we don't get it, and we got to be very careful that we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, <laughs> the amount of pork that's grown in Asia is, I mean, it's the lion's share of pork raised in the world. It's about yeah. 70, 60, 70% of the world's pork. We can't make up for all of that. I mean, we're going to try, absolutely, but... Wow, this is uh, this is something very interesting that's happening, and it's it's. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of it right now. Ted, let me ask you from a market perspective. We've seen lean hogs really rally here over the last week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. Do you think we're going to get to a point where we're too far in the positive of factoring in this African swine fever? Well, you know that's an interesting question, Delaney. I don't think we're going to get to the point where we're too far in the positive for factoring ASF in because, like I said, I wonder if this is just the tip of the iceberg, and I wonder if this is something that's going to be a driver for the Mm -hmm. hog market in a positive way for quite some time to come. Now, the question, a related question that I think you're asking is that, you know, are we getting overbought? Because, you know, sometimes we can move too far too quick in one direction, and then we have to see a correction. And you you might say that could be the case for for pork or for hogs at this point because you know at the end of the day here Monday we were at almost seventy six percent on the RSI that's getting into that oh, wow. sort of extreme yeah. overbought condition so you would think that at some point will be a pullback but it could be one of those things where we're down in the morning and then by the afternoon we're we're coming back again uh, but overall I see a significant amount of upside potential for for hogs. Uh, you look at the spreads that we're seeing, you know, I mean, for the longest time we've been bear spread in this market. You've had the April well under the July contract, under the idea that this ASF business was going to come further on down the line. We saw China in a big way on the export sales for, for uh, the week before, and we're expecting to see them again. So now April's having to play that catch-up and close down that bear spread a bit, and we still have a lot more room and a lot more work to go there. So I'm really quite positive for the hog market. I think if you get any major pullbacks, I think it's a it's a good time for ownership. Um, but I think this ASF deal is the real deal, and it will be going on for a while. Now, one side note, for a while, we had the markets under pressure because of ASF. In particular, we had Chinese markets under pressure because of ASF, and that kind of filtered into our April uh, contract. The reason for that is because, you know, you've got a large portion of your producers over in China that are small producers, and when there's something like this going on, they don't want to wait around to find out what's going to happen with their herd. They're going to market. So you had a lot of pork go to market mm. and put pressure on in the short run. 
but now that we're working through that, and I think at this point we, we have worked through that, we're seeing the Chinese market really rebound in a massive way, over 15 to 20% since the lows just a couple of weeks ago. We've responded in kind. I think their market just has, uh, you know, sky's the limit as far as where it could go, and that's going to be a reflection of really how bad things are over there. But we're going to follow every step of the way, I think. One question, and I think this is maybe a longer-term idea, but one question that I've had in the discussions, now you look at, okay, let's say it's 15% has been cold or, or taken out of the hog mm -hmm. herd in China. Pork is such an important staple of the Chinese diet, but, also, I mean, poultry is as well. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see if this changes or majorly changes the protein diet of especially in Asia but in, in southern in, excuse me especially in China but also in southern Asia if, if they decide okay maybe pork isn't the best thing we can repopulate birds a lot quicker if we had avian influenza or anything else I'm interested to see if long term if they continue to cull this many hogs if it'll change that diet yeah that's certainly a possibility uh, and the, I, the the bigger question is, would that diet be changed indefinitely, or right. would they come back to pork when that's yeah. available? Uh, but ASF is a very difficult thing to get ri get rid of, and that could take a very long time. Mm -hmm. So it might be a taste-changing thing. It is possible for that. I think for me, it all kind of comes down to how bad is it over in China? How much of this, hork, this the, the, the hog uh, herd do they lose? And will they be able to set it, uh, offset it with other countries, production from other countries. If they can offset the vast majority of that demand by bringing in imports that aren't terribly expensive, then I don't think you see taste change that much. But if this is such a big deal that the rest of the world cannot offset that and they have to really move towards poultry, then that, that does become a different story. Mm -hmm. I think at first they're going to try to just stick to the pork. But depending on how bad it is, yes, we could see a big shift to a por towards, porkly, or towards poultry. And that could be a big, that could be a great thing. Listen, all protein markets in, in the United States can benefit from this. Yeah. The problem is, is the soybean market. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about soybean markets here in just a moment, Ted. The other piece of news I wanted to kind of chat about today was the meeting we've got going on this week between Brazilian President Bolsonaro and President Trump. They're expected to talk trade on Tuesday mm -hmm. when they meet at the White House this can be an interesting market as well. Just as a side note here, American growers sold about $60 million worth of wheat to Brazil in 2017. I think ethanol is another interesting market that we could see expand into Brazil, mm -hmm. sugar, meat, etc. So those are all things we're watching on the docket this week as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know we saw that they are agreeing to buy uh, 750,000 metric tons of wheat. Um, so that's a good step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. They usually buy most of their wheat from Argentina, but Argentina's crop looks really good, so I don't know if they're going to need to buy much more than that. I think that was sort of a uh, a gesture coming from them. The ethanol thing, wow, we'd love to do some, some big <laughs> business with Brazil on the ethanol market. We need it right now. You know, I mean, in lieu of everything that's going on with uh, the small blender exemptions or small refiner yeah. exemptions and RIN market, we could really use a, a, a shot in the arm from some export demand for ethanol. The problem for, for that is, you know, Brazil's crops look really good for both corn and sugarcane. They're more of a sugarcane-based ethanol uh, model. They will want to buy some of our corn ethanol. They're typically in their top three, if not our number one importer of U.S. ethanol. But this doesn't look like a year where they're going to really be leaning on us that much. So 
it'd be great if Trump could get something done with that and get them to buy or yeah. commit to buying a, a fair amount. And who knows? We'll see. I mean, Trump's been uh, been very aggressive on trade talks, and uh, we'll see what he has in store for Brazil here this week. Yeah, it'll be exciting stuff to watch, that is for sure. Ted, I'm going to run through the closes quick, and then you can get, give us any input you have for today's closes. Of course, mm-hmm. the markets are sponsored by uh, our partners at the Zaner Group, including Ted Seifert, so give them a call if you want to chat they seem like more good in guys. depth. They do. Yeah. They do seem like good guys. <laughs> All right, Ted. Well, as you look across the boards today, lots of red on the screen in the grain markets. The May corn contract down a penny and three quarters at 371 and a half, while the December down a penny and a quarter at 394 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the May contract down three and a half cents at 905 and three quarters. The November down three and a half at 939 even. Wheat pits finally seeing some red again on the screen. The May contract down five and a half cents at 456 and three quarters. The December down four and a quarter at 486 and three quarters. Hopping over into the live cattle pits, seeing some spread here with the April contract down 77 and a half cents at 128.32, while the June up 65 cents at 122.57 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract up 32 and a half cents on the day at 141.65. The April cut 62 and a half cents at 146.30. Looking over into the lean hog markets, again some strength today. The April contract up two dollars and twenty-five cents at 71.02. The May up a dollar seventy-seven and a half at seventy-nine sixty-seven and a half. Ted, what are the market moves that we need to know about for today? Grain markets have been poised for a little bit of a correction after the strong week that we had seen yet uh, last week, and so a little bit of softness here to start the week. Not terribly surprising. It was led by the wheat market, at least Kansas City and Chicago. Uh, but there too, I mean, we really just needed to see a bit of a correction. We might have a little bit more of that on Tuesday, but I think by the end of the week, we're going to be finding that strength once again. As far as livestock are concerned, you know, we talked about hogs, big update. Uh, we're closing in that, we're, we're narrowing that, that bear spread that we've been seeing. So April has more to gain there. Uh, we are getting very oversold. So at any moment we could see a bit of a pullback, but that pullback in my opinion is probably one to be bought. Uh, and as far as cattle are concerned, Yes, they're going to get a little bit of of carryover strength uh, from the substitute in pork, but at the same time, this is sort of the time frame where we get a little bit softer on our our meat demand, our our beef demand between now and, say, grilling season. We've got Lent going on. Um, And it seems to me that Packers are fairly caught up. What we don't know is what the extent of the damage of the storms are, and Mm -hmm. we're still trying to figure that out. We were very strong on Friday. Uh, We took a little bit of that back here on Monday. Uh, And until we have more information, it's going to be very difficult to see where we go from here. But I'll say this. If we don't have a a really very large impact uh, on on our herd here because of the storm, I think this is likely an area where we we would see a bit of a pullback. And that 130 level in the April has historically been a very difficult uh, nut to crack or been a historically difficult uh, area of resistance. We haven't been able to really convincingly get through it. Again, here is technically an area where it would be likely for us to see a pullback as well. Awesome. Ted, thank you for that little market update, market synopsis, I should say. I'm excited. I think we should go ahead and turn it over to our conversation with Robert White from the Renewable Fuels Association. Yes. Let's talk to Robert. Well, we now know E15 proposals are moving forward in the EPA. So to discuss some of that, we've got Robert White, the VP of Industry Relations for 
RFA, the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, first of all, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I want to kick it off here. We saw last week the EPA move forward with E15 or the proposal for E15 year-round. And some of those changes or part of the proposal includes reforms to the RINs markets. Robert, can you walk us through some of those proposed changes? Sure. So on the E15 side, they really uh, proposed a rulemaking that will marry up E15 and E10 so they would be treated equally as far as read vapor pressure is concerned during the summer volatility season, which runs June 1 through September 15th. Uh, nothing, you know, over overcomplicated there. It's, a, it's something that's long overdue and should have been done when EP, E15 was first approved by EPA uh, almost seven years ago. Um, but on the REN side of things, they're looking at doing some REN reform to provide greater transparency in the REN marketplace. But at the same time, there is some uh, proposals, proposal language in there that would limit uh, not only the timeline that those uh, obligated parties and owners could trade those rent, but also maybe who is even eligible to be a participant in that rent market. And it's been interesting to kind of watch the headlines across the country. It seems like retailers, oil companies, and, and likely us in several instances, all are on an opposing view to it, simply because the, the rent market has been pretty valuable, uh, to say the least, for infrastructure build-outs, and really showing compliance for the renewable fuel standard. And Robert, so, you know, with everything going on and the fact that they're going to roll these two in together with year-round E15 and then, and then revamping the RIN market, you know, we've heard, we've heard a lot of different people say a lot of different things, uh, but are they going to get this done before driving season? I, I guess the jury's out. They claim that <laughs> they are indeed going to make the June 1st deadline, but I, I think it's important for everyone to, to note that if you're a, that provides fuel to gas stations, you already made that commitment or that decision April 30th. So if you're a retailer that gets E15 uh, pre-blended from terminals, that option disappears off the table May 1st until mm -hmm. EPA is finalized and then the terminal decides to go back in time and, and fix that issue. But I, I think it's going to be extremely difficult. It, difficult. It's uh, be the fastest timeline perhaps they've ever done. And uh, my only concern, they get it done and do it legally so it's defendable in court. Um, you know, with it coming down to, a, to the deadline like this, you know, we've heard Sonny Purdue say that they would use discretionary enforcement if, if the uh, all-year-round E15 isn't in place for this coming summer driving season. What does he mean by that? Well, so in, in years past, there's been enforcement discretion announced by EPA traditionally around weather-related issues like hurricanes, where sometimes the uh, legal fuel at the time, the volatility required at the time for, especially during the summer months, wasn't available, and they needed to pull it in from somewhere else to uh, keep the motoring public going. That's kind of what we've seen in the past. But in this particular situation, the EPA would grant a letter of enforcement discretion, mostly to retailers, and tell them that the rulemaking is coming, when we're not sure, but if you, you can continue to sell E15 without any concern of, of any enforcement by EPA on volatility. The problem is that is really not going to change any opinions of the terminals. It's not going to get any of the retailers sitting on the sidelines waiting for a final rulemaking to make any investments. 
And ultimately, even the ones that are already selling it, it'll probably be up to their legal departments if they're comfortable with that. Robert, talking about opinions, we really haven't seen Administrator Wheeler come forth and and give his opinion on where he sits with E15 or ethanol or biofuels industries in the discussions that you've had with him and the RFA has had with him. Does he seem to be pro-ethanol? I mean, we saw just last week he granted five more hardship waivers for refiners. So he kind of seems like he's playing both sides of the field from our perspective, maybe in producer perspective. Well, it wouldn't take much, Delaney, to look semi-positive after Administrator Pruitt, for sure. <laughs> right. Um, but last week, was a, last week was definitely a signal to our industry that the small refinery exemptions are not done. Uh, right. You know, on Wednesday, you got a proposal for E15, which we believe in the, you know, short term, we're looking at maybe another 40 million gallons of additional ethanol demand. And then Thursday, they took away 400 million gallons. Right. Um, so it, it's not a balancing act that, that works in our favor and hasn't for a long time. We were looking at over 2.6 billion gallons of of demand destruction that has come about through these small refinery exemptions. And really the, the, um, the option they're using there was intended for small companies, small refineries that could demonstrate a financial hardship. And yet what's being granted are to companies like Exxon Mobil. So I, I guess the, we're, we have to wait and see what administrator Wheeler is going to do. Um, but what 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 he's showing right now, anyway, is uh, kind of business as usual. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Robert, you know, we talked about the small refiner exemptions. You know, some people have suggested that the SREs have had no impact on ethanol demand. Do you think hmm. this is true? Well, I, yeah, I, I hear that same thing, and we've tried to uh, help at least one particular ag economist out with this, and we mm-hmm. can demonstrate clearly that what happened was when the small refinery exemptions were granted, REN prices plummeted. So yeah. right out the gate, you had a dis- disincentive to expand higher blends like E15 and E85 in the retail market. And so mm-hmm. flip it back on the ethanol side, and at the same time the REN values plummeted, the ethanol market values started to backtrack to compensate for that to right. allow, you know, to try and push more ethanol into the marketplace. So the financial impact was what we're determining somewhere around a billion dollars last year to the ethanol industry in lost blending. But think about it this way. We have continued to hear, even from, you know, some that say SREs had no impact, that E15 and E85 sales were actually up. Well, (laughs) just last week, we found out that overall, the overall ethanol blending rate dropped for the first time in 20 years. So that means the E10 blending was actually lower than anyone anticipated. And I, if that's not demand destruction, I don't know what is. It, Robert, right. you said a billion dollars that you think have had impact on the ethanol markets. Obviously, these waivers aren't the only thing impacting the ethanol markets. But do you see a, a big chunk of why or a big part of the reason why the ethanol markets haven't been doing well because of these waivers? Well, you think about it this way. We have, a, you know, in the, in the RFS as it sets, we have a 15 billion gallon mark that we're trying to hit. Every time there's a small refinery exemption, it backs off mm-hmm. of that. To okay. So 2.6 billion gallons is real gallons. I mean, yes, 
exports were up and great last year, thank goodness, because we don't know where we'd be without those at this point. But it is real demand and real gallons here domestically that could have been could have been utilized. And what we're doing here is rewarding the companies that didn't follow the law intentionally. This wasn't a, oops, I can't do it. I didn't know this was coming. We're 12, 14 years into compliance of the renewable fuel standard. There's been plenty of time to set up blending. There's been plenty of time to make these investments. And, oh, by the way, if you blend the ethanol or biodiesel, the rent is free. Mm. So there is no impact if you are willing to blend the product as you have been obligated by EPA. Hmm. Right. I, and obviously, this is something that we, as as people in the agricultural industry or anybody that has any exposure to this, but in particular producers, we need to stand up and do something about this right now. Because if not, it, it just feels like they're going to basically dismantle the RFS with these SREs. So, you know, I know the EPA has a, a hearing coming up on March 29th in Ann Arbor. It's a public hearing. Uh, what is that all about, and what can we do to help fight for the RFS? Well, every time the EPA puts together one of these rulemakings, they typically have a public hearing and then a public comment period. So I would encourage anyone that has the ability to get to Ann Arbor, they will stay as long as they have witnesses that want to testify. And the first one in Kansas City, that took two and a half days. So they will stay oh, wow. as long as they need to. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, if you... Uh, if you can't make Ann Arbor, please be sure to submit comments to EPA. Uh, they need to understand uh, the importance of ethanol to rural America and to the general consumer, no matter where they live, to be honest, because I can assure you that every ethanol opponent will be out in force um, helping to sway EPA's opinion, not only on E15, but within RENs. And, of course, anytime they have the opportunity to uh, promote more small refinery exemptions, they will do that as well. But this has gotten them to, in my opinion, be a little bit bigger than that. I, I think that the EPA needs to hear this. I think the rest of the administration, including Secretary Purdue, needs to be reminded of this and all the way up to 1600 Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm, absolutely. absolutely. Robert, before we let you go, how can folks, if they can't make that um, hearing in Ann Arbor, how can they submit comments to the EPA before that hearing happens? Well, they can either go to epa.gov and search for E15, and they'll show all of the opportunities for comments, or they can go to our website, ethanolrfa.org, and we will have those uh, comments set up so folks can help do this. And, of course, if you're any member of any of the state or national uh, or a national corridors association, they will also be doing their campaigns to solicit comments as well. Awesome. Robert, thank you so much, and thank you for your continued work on getting E15 pushed through. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, Ted, great conversation, and thanks for co-hosting with me today and suggesting Robert to be our our interview for today, our discussion for today. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Delaney. And, and, you know, like we were talking about at the top of the show, um, it, it's just this is something that, it, first of all, I, I'm a big fan of ethanol, uh, you know, for, for a number of different reasons. But this is something that we really need to call attention to right now because our RFS is really being destroyed mm. by these small blender or small yeah. refiner exemptions. And a lot of people don't realize that. You know, a lot of people are just kind of, why is ethanol struggling a little bit? Or, or a lot of people don't even notice that ethanol right. is struggling. So this is, this is something that we need to talk about. And with that hearing coming up a week from Friday, 
now is the time to get in touch with your representatives. You know, talk to the EPA, send the messages, you know, your, your state representatives and even the White House. I mean, everybody needs to hear about this. There's promises that had been made to us that are not being kept. and We need to hold them accountable. All right. I like it. Ted, is that your soapbox speech? That's my soapbox speech for today, Delaney. <laughs> awesome. Yes. And I'll be doing it again all week long. I'm sure. So, Actually, know. where are you going to be doing it all week on on Twitter, Ted? Oh, I, you know I'm I'm on the Twitter, and I, <laughs> I do like to use that as as my soapbox. But I'm going to try to sneak it in there in my conversations that I do on markets throughout the week. So stay tuned on uh, uh, well a number of different radio shows, and certainly RFD TV. I'll be doing that Tuesday and Thursday. So whenever I get a chance, Delaney, is when I'll be trying to sneak All that right. one in there. All right, Ted. Well, if, you, if we see anything interesting, we'll be sure to share it on the Ag News Daily social media as well. Folks, check out Ted Seifert on Twitter at the Ted Spread or interact with Ag News Daily on Twitter and on Facebook at Ag News Daily. Ted, thanks so much. With that, should we let the people go? Pleasure's mine. Let them go, Delaney. 